0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE One, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE One is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to
2: podcasts. Hello? to Cincinnati.
0: You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us.
2: The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. A part of the Blue Wire
0: Podcast Network. Where, where do we start? I mean, obviously we start with the, you know, last week opening day, they got the kickoff and promptly had a holding penalty on the kickoff to put themselves back on the nine ten yard line. Yesterday, the first play from scrimmage, I mean, bro, 80 yards untouched on a pitch out.
1: All the plays you could call, because you got a lot of options here on 4th and 1 from the 20. You really do. He decides to run the football up the middle with Josh Adams, who t- took off the practice squad 15 minutes ago, and it was his one and only yeah. carry of the game.
0: Right. After Frank Gore was playing pretty well running pretty effectively. Hey, here's, forget even that. You know, you got a half a yard. How about a quarterback sneak there? How about Donald runs up to the line, brother? We've seen Tom Brady do this for 100 years. How about he runs up to the line and just, bing, quarterback sneak at the first down? Will you? You know, I mean, just do that. Nothing wrong, wrong with see that. that. Do we ever see him do that? Ever. Nothing wrong with it. Do we ever see Sam Darnold
1: throw
3: the football
0: past Even the third
1: down? First down marker on third down? Do we ever see that oh, either, Oh, my God. Is that
3: something you ever see? Have oh. you seen that
1: before? Welcome, everybody, to the AFC East Roundup Podcast, Week 2 edition. I'm your host, Drew Geert. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Joe and Evan from WFAN... uh, It's uh, in
2: New York. WFAN New York.
1: Talking about what might be one of the funniest storylines in the NFL right now. More Jets ineptitude.
2: I can get behind all of this. Like, the way that they're playing... They're just getting their asses handed to them. And not only did they get their asses handed to them, they didn't have Bosa, they didn't have Thomas, they didn't have Garoppolo. (laughs) Mosert already did his damage. I mean, Uh, I can't wait to get more more involved with that later.
1: No, no, we have a full slate of guests for you tonight. From hot quarterback performances in Seattle and South Beach to full on tire fires in New Jersey, the AFC East action is heating up. And we're here with your weekly look around the division. Let's kick it off, Chris. We start as we always do with the Buffalo Bills. This week in our Rock Bell Report podcast, we hosted Rams Talk podcast host Derek Ciapala We took a really in-depth look at the Bills' first real test of the 2020 season with the LA Rams and that high-powered, confusing offensive scheme. We also recapped our surprisingly close victory to the Miami Dolphins. Go check that out if you haven't already. But tonight, Chris, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the standings.
2: Us being soul first.
1: Every year, even in the years when the Bills have had success. Imagine 2017, 2019. Hell, even back in 2011, when the Bills looked like they might actually be a playoff caliber football team.
2: Yeah, we ended up going 6-10. and 10.
1: The Bills have had to live in the shadow of the New England Patriots. Typically, even if our team was undefeated at some point in that first six game run, we were still either tied with or behind the New England Patriots until our inevitable head to head matchup, which always seemed to dictate where the balance lied in the AFC's division lead. Yeah. Yet today, it's still weird to me. Sitting here thinking the Bills are standing alone in week two of an NFL season in sole position at first place. What is that? I get it. It's early. But we already have two, not just two conference wins, but two division wins under our belts.
2: Yeah, that's that's very, uh, we'll need that if it ever comes down to tiebreakers once December rolls around. But, you know.
1: Well, let's face it. Do you see either one of those football teams being any sort of a problem for the New England Patriots,
2: not the Jets. The Jets just might be a problem for the state of New Jersey. The state of
1: New Jersey, um, Springsteen, the, the hearts of the people who live there. Because I mean, we've all seen people from Jersey. I mean, the Chris,
2: they're garbage.
1: The the, art, the clogged arteries in that state. Ah! any more of this, Chris? Do people talk about overpopulation? You may not have to wait. You may not have to worry about it much longer if they decide to keep gays around. Oh yeah, maybe that's maybe that's a solution like the overpopulation problem i don't know and i know that's a terrible thing to say out loud but come on new jersey sucks and this is fitting but when we're talking about the buffalo bills being in first place i think it's a testament to the idea of preparation and the way this roster was built this roster was built to win the division
2: yeah that's you gotta take baby steps make the playoffs win the division get to the championship game get to the super bowl
1: and I think, it's, I think it's interesting the way, you know, we talked about it in this week's uh, Rock Pile Report. The way we've gotten here isn't the way that anyone expected. You know, if you had told me, hey, the Bills defense came in and just put everybody in, the, in a chokehold and we scrapped out some close wins against two bad football teams, I'd say, okay, that, that makes me feel good about something I already liked about this football team. And it, we're in first place. And there's inevitably that uh, the conversation that has to be had about, okay, well, what happens when the other shoe drops and you start playing teams where your defense can't just wrestle into the ground? I think for the first time, being in first place, when you look at the way Josh Allen is playing, doesn't that give you optimism?
2: Yeah, I mean, he leads the goddamn NFL in passing yards. He's playing real well.
1: He's playing really well. And when you have a quarterback... I don't know, Chris. I want to say that when you have a quarterback, this is insert how you would feel here. But I don't know. I can't tell you what it feels like because I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a Bills quarterback play this well in my adult life since I was old enough to buy alcohol.
2: I think it kind of goes back to uh, what I said about Epinesa. You didn't like him because he had power. That's how he wins. And you've only seen speed with Hughes. So you haven't, it relates the same way. You haven't seen a good quarterback in our franchise in your adult life. No. And now you're seeing it and you're not used to it.
1: And I think that that's the reason that for me as a fan, the idea of not only being in first place in the AFCs, but also maintaining or at least competing on a week to week basis for the lead in a division race. Yeah. Of course, 15 years old, 15 years old. I was the last time this thing seemed up for grabs. Now, knowing that we don't have the Hall of Fame quarterback to compete with, knowing that our quarterback is setting the... the, Chris, he's playing... Out of his
2: goddamn mind.
1: The people who get on me for saying your name over and over again, it's how exasperated I am. I'm going back to my verbal crutches here. I'm just... I don't know how to feel. I don't know how to feel about this. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I wonder how they feel. What the pressure of that's like. <clears throat> Sean McDermott seems to pride himself on no moment being too big for this football team.
2: Yeah, the preparation, say, did, the work they put in. Didn't he say Allen's got ice water in his veins? <clears throat> <clears throat> so with that, it's going to be interesting to see how
1: long the. I mean, to me, this is like riding a mechanical ball. The Bills just beat eight seconds. How much longer can they go, though? Can you outlast the New England Patriots? Because that's what it's going to take. Especially if the team that showed up on Sunday shows up for the next month and a half. It's going to be incredibly interesting, but the Buffalo Bills, top of the division. And if you guys want to hear more about how they got there, make sure you go back and check out this week's Rock Pile Report podcast for all the breakdowns. And so to help us all run down how we got... Just to talk about the other side of the coin as we sit here and talk about the Bills being 2-0... and we have Elf Artiaga from 3 yards per carry to help kind of recap things from the Dolphin side of the fence. How are you doing tonight, sir?
4: Good, good. <laughs> so I was so gonna... I'm here to give you the loser's perspective of being 0-2. Is that why I'm here?
1: <laughs> nah, well, we do this to Scott. Scott, uh, Scott takes a beating from us, but he's a Jets fan. I mean, it... yeah. <laughs> they, they, they do kind of deserve what they get because they hired Adam Gase. This this Dolphins game, to me, I'm, I'm really interested, not just to throw shade, but to get your perspective on this, knowing how much you understand football and just how much you pick it apart and the work you guys do over at three yards per carry. In your opinion, how close to having that game won was that in your mind?
4: It was close, but not so close, and I'll tell you why. As soon as uh, I think I sent you a, a DM with this, when byron jones left the game and they asked the coaches after the game and and when i heard this i was like i can't believe that they actually just said that they said they had the game plan of having byron jones travel with stefan diggs the entire game now that makes perfect sense he's one of the best cover corners in football and I, then i guess xavier howard would have been on john brown the rest of the game as soon as byron jones left the game on the third snap of the game they decided we're not changing the game plan and we're going to put 20-year-old Noah Igbenagane into travel with Stefan Diggs the entire game. We You couple that with no pass rush. And I showed it on, on my Yardworks, which I do on a, on the 5 Reasons Sports Network YouTube channel. I don't know if you guys have seen that. The mm-hmm. Dolphins had no pass rush. And when they would try to run games on your offensive line, you guys picked it up. You guys have a decent offensive line. You guys were in tune, especially Devin Singletary, who's really good on pass pro.
1: <laughs> which is, which it would was, be shocking for some Bills fans to hear.
4: Yeah, but he was very good in this game. There was one play in particular where Noe Benagany almost made a play on the ball, but he, he had to cover Stephon Diggs for 5.9 seconds. And that ended up becoming a 21-yard gain for the Bills on, I believe, 3rd and eleven. There's nobody that can cover Stephon Diggs for 5.9 seconds.
1: Oh, not at all. And this was one of the things we talked about in this week's Rock Pile Report podcast about how the deep ball was Josh Allen's Achilles heel last year. I mean, they went out and they added Cole Beasley. They added John Brown. And that kind of boosted his statistics when passing inside of 10 yards because accuracy, everyone said, oh, well, he'll never be able to throw accurately. And that kind of got dispelled when those two guys came in and started getting open for him. But he still sucked at the deep ball. His numbers were mm-hmm. terrible. And so passes more than 15 yards downfield, he just couldn't make them. And everyone said, okay, well, they, he's got this. Okay, good. But he'll never have, you know, he, he has X, but he'll never have Y.
4: Well, he was all-time great in this one.
1: And that's, and so when we're sitting here watching this go on, the thing I keep wondering is how the hell is this happening? Was it scheme or do you think it was... What was it that they were exploiting in the Dolphins' defensive setup?
4: Well, the Dolphins play a lot of man, just like New England. So he already had it in his head. Okay, if this is man coverage. I know where my guys are going to be. I know where I have to throw the ball. All I need is just time. And I ran the numbers, and I posted them somewhere online. He had 11 incompletions. Of the 11 incompletions, he was pressured or hurried nine of the 11 completions. The other two he just missed. Okay? So if he got protection, he he had open people. And it wasn't really blown coverages. It was just guys beating guys and no pass rush. And when you don't have a pass rush, no matter how good your secondary is, they're not going to make plays for you. They just can't cover for that long when you can't get to the quarterback. Now, I can... And- The the, the Dolphins also made a concerted effort to not let him get loose with his legs. And you can tell it kind of worked. But they were taking one guy away from their pass coverage, which was Jerome Baker. So maybe that had something to do with it, too.
1: Oh, I believe that because I did note that in in our kind of rundown of the game that they only he only ran four times for 18 yards. And most of that came on like in the first quarter. He had a he had a scramble that he picked up a first down on. Mm-hmm. And for the rest of the game, he couldn't get outside the pocket. Or at least he didn't. Now, whether that's because he found open options or whether it's because you guys were defensively kind of spreading out the line and keeping him hemmed in, I, I, you, you could kind of argue it, what came first, the chicken or the egg, but the results speak for themselves. You guys had a plan to keep Allen in the backfield. but then it. I, and I do think, to your point, which you DM'd me shortly, I think it was shortly after the game, you were just like, if Byron Jones doesn't leave, this game ends differently. <laughs> It ends differently. I, and I, I, It's one of those things that when you read it and the timing of it, I'm like, oh, he believes this. He's passionate about this. I love it. But let's not act like Fitzpatrick was a slouch. He was epic. Here's the thing. People look at Ryan Fitzpatrick and they say things like, oh, well, you know, he's old. He's a journeyman. He's a stopgap everywhere he goes. Blah, 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 blah. The Buffalo Bills' pass defense wasn't great. Okay, we had some of the worst pass-protecting linebackers we've had on the field since A.J. Tarpley started for us against the Jets back in 2015. It was Rex Ryan's first season where we were playing two backup linebackers who sucked. Since then, I don't think it's ever been as bad as it was on Sunday. One of the things that struck me about Fitzpatrick's game that we re- detailed in our recap was that Fitzpatrick was epic on first and second down. Mm-hmm. You guys had 28 first downs. 13 of those came from Fitzpatrick passing on either first and 10 or second and eight or more yards. One of the things I articulated was that if you play a bend but don't break style of defense, you have to get teams to third down. You can't give up those first downs. (laughs) What did Miami do? What was it that they were doing well that allowed them to get that kind of offensive production so early?
4: Well, they were attacking the middle of the field. And they have a guy who's emerging. He started emerging toward the end of last year. And that just goes to show you how bad Adam Gase is as a coach. When they drafted Mike Gusecki, they knew what they had. They had a pass-catching tight end. He, uh, very much in the mold of a Travis Kelsey, of a Zach Ertz. Not great as a blocker. So, of course, what does Adam Gase do his entire rookie year? Never throws him the ball and has not block all year. So... They finally started using him correctly last year, and toward the end of the year, he he kind of, like, started showing up big in games. And he ended the season by winning a game in New England by catching that pass over the middle. He's been great this year. He had a career high in this one. He had 130 yards, I believe, on eight catches. So, And you saw some of those catches. Like, oh, my yeah. God.
1: Highlight reel stuff. It was <laughs> it was making me sick to my stomach, especially when I watched that one-handed catch that Dean Marlowe. He's a backup safety. He's got no shot. (laughs) When a tight end is going to make a catch with one hand, you don't have a play. Same thing. He went up against our, because of what I think was just scheme. And that was something we talked about. The way our scheme kept breaking down, what you saw was players like Trey White. Great cover corner. An all pro Mm -hmm. last year. But when you're matched up against a guy like Mike Gasicki, who just has you physically dominated... Yeah,
4: the, the guy, the guy you are. used to win dunk contests in college. Yeah, okay? if he's winning dunk he's...
1: contests and you're a five foot ten, five foot eleven cornerback who's good at, who's elite at playing zone, you've got no chance at just a jump ball at the mouth of the goal line.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, and you saw it over and over again. Changelly for as much crap as we give him, really, he had a game plan. And I I, I, I guess one of the things I would say is I, I, I think one of the things that really put the nail in the coffin for you
2: guys, those screens to as- spiller. <laughs>
1: He keeps – every time we watch these games, he, he, he he's calling out plays that we saw ad nauseum when he was – That's adults. all he
2: would do when he was head coach here was, uh, we'll just run a screen to Spiller or uh, hand it off to Spiller and then Spiller could not go north-south. He had to go east-west until he found a lane north-south.
1: One of the things, with that in mind, that I noticed and just pulled away from the statistics is that 13 of the 19 rushes you guys attempted on the ground went for three or fewer yards. Now, I know that you liked this off, this young offensive line. You liked some of the things that they were the young guys were bringing to the table. The new blood. I know our defensive line was kind of put together in free agency and in the draft over the last year or two to be kind of an, an imposing unit and fix the fact that they were really poor last year in run defense. How much of that has to do with the way our defense played, and how much of that has to do with just the way things were executed by Miami?
4: Well, I have a video up on, like I said, my yard work video, and in there I put in three runs that were a pretty good example of what they've done this year. If there's a criticism of Chan Gailey was that in game one, he was extremely vanilla. He was trying to just get by with the basics but in this game he actually reached a little deeper into his bag of tricks and was running a lot of different stuff on the ground especially some some counter stuff some counter tray stuff they used some wide receivers to complete the counter tray yes and which was interesting to say the least and you got to show what we have as far as a right guard in solomon kinley uh, you got to see him you got to see his skill set you got to see a guy who's six 350 pounds running all over the field hitting people, which he looked good in this game. And, like, today I had a, an argument on Twitter. Some guy would tell me, oh, because PFF uh, says that Austin Jackson is the worst left tackle in football. And I told him, okay, now you explain to me how Austin Jackson can be the worst left tackle in football if he's played two games, one game against the New England Patriots, throwing the kitchen sink at him, And one game against the Buffalo Bills, who everybody agrees is a top three defense, and he has no penalties, has not allowed a sack, and has allowed one pressure.
3: (laughs) Pro football
1: focus, man, don't get me started. I mean, to listen, is for people over here, the Josh Allen community, oh my God, right now they're giving it to PFF. I feel bad for their social media intern. I really do, because there's a small but petty contingent of Bills Mafia that is just handing it to them right now. <laughs> Those guys, I don't understand how they come up with this stuff. I was surprised, to be honest with you. I was surprised that Austin Jackson did as well as he did. Watching the trenches, you weren't lying. I kind of thought, I it, it was like, Elf, Elf Elf sounds like he knows what he's talking about, but he's also, his, his criticisms of players could be shaded by his love of the football team. But we watched them play And the way that offensive line operated, I'm sold. I saw an NFL caliber offensive line out there with room to grow, which is a scary concept if you're, I mean, Solomon Kindley, your guy, there was a play where he got loose to the second level and the only person there in front of him was our nickel cornerback Teron Johnson. And I remember holding my beer a little bit tighter and just being like, don't kill him. Don't kill him. God, stay away from him. Uh, ultimately it came down it was a close game The sco- yes. at least in the scoreboard our quarterback kept us out of things if there's one statistic I can ask you about real quick before we wrap this out of the 13,000 tickets that were available for sale only 11,000 of them got sold and a giant chunk of them ended up in the hands of Bills fans as a Dolphins fan how does that make you feel?
4: Well, I it, it was it was coming all week, all week in the Miami Herald. All you saw was people complaining that uh, there was going to be protests at the stadium. Nobody can, can should go to this game, and that they're going to. If you go to a football game, you're eventually. You know, you've heard all the complaints. Yes, you go to a football game, you're going to kill people. <laughs> okay, and. What you saw was a lot of Dolphin fans complaining, okay, I don't want to go to the game. And the secondary market, they were saying it early on Tuesday, they weren't going to sell the 13,000 seats. And that a lot of people were buying up all the seats to sell them in a secondary market. And that's evidently what they ended up doing. So, you know, (laughs) hey, credit to the Bills fans that saw all those tickets in the secondary market and bought them all up. That's how manic we
1: are for live football up here. I mean, you talk about uh, basketball being your uh, favorite sport, but football being your religion. Attending Bills football, regardless of where it's happening, to a lot of this fan base, it is like a religion. Mm-hmm. So, week three, your outlook—you're going down. You're gonna—it's t- an interstate battle, the battle for the state of Florida, or at least from an AFC perspective. Fitzmagic and his beard are gonna go take on the mustachioed maniac Gardner Minshew who looks like a more white trash version of Paul Rudd's character in Anchorman, mm-hmm. if I can say that. Considering how much they've scored this season, how confident are you in being able to get that first W?
4: Well, that the Dolphin team that played against the Bills in that second half beats this Jacks, Jaguars team handily. And I said today, you know, it's time to take some of the training wheels off. Like, it's, it's cute to have a young team and to look at all these rookies and say, hey, you know, this rookie looks good, and we have two offensive linemen that look really good, and they're both young, and we have this corner that, for whatever reason, is 20 years old, and he turned 20, like, a few months ago, and they decide they're going to have him travel with Stefan Diggs all game. Okay, now that's uber confidence. So, yeah, you like your your draft class. Well, it's it's cute to like your draft class, to like your young football team, but it's time to take some of the the training wheels off and have some expectations they're a two point underdog go out and win the game last year you did some extraordinary things nobody expected you to win five games you did well now do some of those things with more talent and it starts with a win here on Thursday
1: and if, and if you were to lose this game I mean have you reached a point as a fan base where a loss here and an 0-3 start does some doubt start to
4: creep in well, there have to be some doubts on the on the coaching staff for sure because they're the ones who picked the vets for this team, and those guys have yet to show up this year. <laughs> okay. So they went out and they got two running backs that were supposed to be the one-two punch, and the guy who's producing for the Dolphins is their seventh-round draft pick from a year ago in Miles Gaskin. So, you know, it's about time that some of these guys start producing. Uh Devontae Parker had a touchdown in the last game, but... These have not been typical Devontae Parker games. Preston Williams was good last year. He's been awful this year. He dropped a touchdown in his last game. So, yeah, it's time for some of these guys to step up, and they got to start doing some some things that are a little bit extraordinary, and I don't think I'm asking for too much to beat a team as a two-point underdog.
1: Elf. Always a great time, always a pleasant conversation, an informative conversation. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find more of that with your podcast, your Yardcast, and where just what you guys have going on this week.
4: Of course, you can find us uh, everywhere on the, on the net, anywhere you get your podcast, iTunes, Podbeam, Spotify, everywhere. Three Yards Per Carry, that's at Three Yards Per Carry, the number Three Yards Per Carry on Twitter. And, of course, look for us on the 5 Reasons Sports Network's YouTube channel. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to
2: keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Offered valid through September 30th.
1: And now, on a much lighter note, Chris, <laughs> we have Mr. Scott Mason here to help us recap the New York Jets weekend as they fell to the 49ers 31-13. to Scott, how are you doing?
5: Hey, fellas, I'm still glad I didn't have to eat Domino's. That's the, be- the best thing I can say. <laughs> wow. okay, so, so as a
1: Jets fan, what's it like to know that if you tried to throw yourself into the East River over despair over your football team, it would throw you back if you did it while wearing a Jets jersey? That's how ugly things have gotten
5: in, in New Jersey and New York City. It's pretty bad, and to be fair, not not that they're as embarrassing, but things haven't gone all that well for the Giants, as you know, especially with Saplon Barkley now being out for the year. So football, this part of the New York, New Jersey area, not doing so hot at the moment. (laughs) So let's talk about Sunday.
1: Sunday was one of those games that, you know, it's one of those things. You know, as someone who has the Sunday ticket, I sit there and I, you know, we have multiple games going on the one TV. We'll put the mix on. And then I watch the Bills game. And as the Bills game's going, I wait and I look to see what game looks like it's getting competitive, what game looks like it could be fun to watch. And I kept looking over at the score of your game, trying to figure out what the hell was going on. We'd check in for a minute, and it seemed like every time we did, there was some new horror show being talked about by the announcers. How hard is that to watch as a fan of that football team?
5: Well, in fairness, Drew, the good news for you is that you weren't coaching the game and trying to figure out what was going on. Adam Gase, unfortunately, was doing the same thing, but he's the actual head coach of the Jets. So it's not really a good sign when the head coach just throws up his hands and doesn't seem to know what to do. It was a bizarre game all the way around. Sam Darnold played much better than he did last week, but... Adam Gase sort of used him as though he was Luke Falk this week, wouldn't really let him do anything. And the only one highlight real throw that he made was at the very end of the game when he was escaping pressure. I'm sure you've seen it, the one where he got away and threw across his body downfield to Braxton Barrios for a touchdown. And that's a reminder of what Sam Darnold can do in his best. But again, we didn't really get to see him do much. Now, to be fair, we know that the Jets supporting cast is not all that good, but the only real positives that I could take away from this game were Quinn and Williams looked like the elite player that we thought he was going to be coming out of Alabama and Makai Beckton continued to look like an elite left tackle. Of course, small sample size, but right now taking whatever victories I can get. The rest of it was just insane. I mean, you guys saw the injury list. The oh, I know. The entire 49ers team wasn't playing and they still got smashed. Here's
1: the, here's the funny thing about this game. When you think about it from this perspective in terms of football, Giving up 31 points to the defending Super Bowl champions doesn't seem like a bridge too far. I I would understand if your team gave up 31 points to a team that previously went to a Super Bowl. Your defense had some questionable things when you took a look at the stat sheet. I mean, the defense gave up 184 yards rushing, which I I think is a tough pill to swallow, and set a pair of records in the process. The first team to give up an 80-yard touchdown run this season... And then McKinnon's 55-yard run on third and 31 to pick up the first down marked the first time since 1999 that a team rushed for a first down when being 30 or more yards behind the sticks. So that's two dubious things that just kind of got thrown under the Jets. But when I take a look around, take a look around at the other statistics to come out of that. There were some damning things about this offense. Jimmy Garoppolo threw for less yardage than Sam Darnold, which, what, 179 yards, but posted a rating 50 points higher. Darnold himself, to your point, not a terrible day, 66% completion percentage, only 179 yards. The Jets running backs, you know, there's a highlight play out there with your, you were talking about Mekhi Becton showing out. There's a highlight reel play where Becton manhandles a defensive lineman from San Francisco and keys a running play. And afterwards, he's seen yelling at the sideline, pointing to his chest as if to almost tell your head coach, use me for the love of God. Let me do my job. And yet, at the same time, you, you, you kind of said it, that Gase almost, it almost seemed like he didn't know what he wanted to do in this game. Here's a quote from Adam Gase in the post-game press conference. Yeah, I mean, there's just not
2: – you know, there's not a ton of great plays on fourth and seven when you're playing that defense. I mean, we thought we had a good play the play before, you know, and that's a low percentage, and, you know, we had our opportunity to score there, just trying to get points, just try to get something going, get some kind of, you know, just a little bit of positive juices flowing with our guys. You know, it just – you know, if we would have came away with there with no points – it's, it's just it's frustrating to get down there and not get any points. So just trying to get three, just get something going, get our guys rolling a little bit. So
1: what do you think about the assessment that your head coach doesn't have a play? The reason he kicked a field goal to make it, what, 13 to, what was it, 6 to 24 at that point in the game? You're trailing 24-7. You have the ball inside the 10, and your head coach is trying to explain to you that he didn't have a good play. (laughs) And so he kicked a field goal. As an analyst and a fan, how does that make you feel?
5: He said that there weren't very many good options on that particular play. But again, as you pointed out, they were getting their butts kicked and they had to try to do something. A field goal there was not going to get it done. You have to take a shot at that point. And I think at this point, when you listen to what Gase has to say, I mean, man, it got worse than that the following day when he said that the reason they didn't go downfield at all is because Brashad Perriman got hurt early in the game. So essentially, Brashad Perriman gets hurt early in the game, and now you're not allowed to go downfield. Apparently, that's a rule that I was unaware of. And then, of course, we find out that on the fourth and one play, Sam Darrell does not have the latitude to audible out of the play if he wants to, which for your third year starting quarterback is incredibly bizarre that you wouldn't give him that type of autonomy. And so you just look at all of this and look, I've said this before, firing Adam Gase is not going to fix everything. It's not. This is not a good roster and they need to make a lot of improvements, but Firing Adam Gase is the only thing that you can do right now that would help. And it's something that absolutely needs to be done. So with that in mind, what I think is going to happen is the Jets are going to lose pretty badly to the Colts coming up this week. And then on Thursday Night Football in front of the country, they'll eke out a really close win against Jeff Driscoll and the banged up Denver Broncos. And then the owner, Christopher Johnson, will come out and say, See, I told you Adam just needed a little bit of time. We're going to get this on track. That's a big win. Well,
1: that's, a, and that's a dynamic that I want to ask you about because just in, because again, this is, we are the pettiest bills podcast in existence. And I love to just roll around in our opponent's misery. All of this stuff coming out of kind of the different pundits who cover the New York Jets is this idea brewing that, If they're if they're willing to tolerate this, if this game it's one thing to lose again. It's another it's one thing to lose a game thirty-one to thirteen to the returning Super Bowl you know runner-up. It's another thing when you put it through the lens of this team lost its number one pass rusher, its number three pass rusher, its number one running back, its number one and number two offensive center. And at no point did they on tape look like a different football team because yours was just so unprepared. But there's this narrative gaining steam that if this isn't the thing that gets him fired, then the bar has already been set so low that anything that happens going forward that even remotely looks like improvement could potentially be used to make a case for somehow keeping him around. Is that the nightmare scenario for Jets fans everywhere right now?
5: I think as long as Gase is gone at the end of the year, everybody will eventually come to peace with it. I think everybody wants him gone now, or at least most people do. I think it's weird, too, because I was talking to Michael Nania about this earlier. And if you're a Jets fan, you're sort of torn between two different things. Do you want Gase to stay? This continues to be really bad, and then the Jets end up with the number one overall pick and they can just start from scratch. Or do you want to get rid of Gase now, hope that somehow Jim Bob Cooter or whoever takes over the offense can get enough out of Darnold to salvage him, and then hopefully you bring in a head coach next year that can finally get from Sam Darnold what we've been hoping for. But the problem, of course, guys, as you know, is that by that point, you're going into season four, and you're right back where you started going into season three with all the questions. So it's one of those scenarios where I don't know that there's a great answer here, and Gase being gone, I think, if nothing else, would at least give the fans the satisfaction of knowing that ownership has finally realized the mistake they made when they hired him, but I just don't know what the positive... Thing is here because, again, if you end up with five wins or something like that, and Darnold gives you just enough flashes that maybe ownership and Joe Douglas say stick with him and you have the sixth or seventh pick, well, now what? Or if he does so poorly that they do get the number one pick, yeah, you got the number one pick, but now you have to come to grips with the fact that the last few years have been a complete waste and Sam Darnold was basically not going to do anything for you. So, I mean, really, short of Darnold completely turning it around, which isn't out of the realm of possibility the rest of the way, I just don't know what the positive outcome is here. But it does have to start with Gase being gone, whether it's now or whether it's at the end of the year. But like you said, I do think that for a lot of people, the scary scenario is that he does just enough to keep the owner from not firing him At least for now, I do think that unless this team turns it around, he's going to be gone at the end of the year. Because from what I understand, Woody Johnson, whether Donald Trump wins or loses, is going to be back. And he's not the one that hired Gase, and will have no attachment to him. So if he sees this, he'll pull the plug. But the question, of course, becomes what happens until that point. And as I said, I don't know that there's a positive outcome here. I just keep thinking in my head, a quarterback.
1: A quarterback guru, not even quarterback, an offensive guru, Chris, who doesn't have a game plan because one player got hurt.
2: He, I would be fuming if I was a Jets fan. I I don't think, if I was a Jets fan right now, I'm not sure I'd be able to watch the rest of the season.
1: It's, It would definitely be tough. And I think that this next week is going to be tough because Week 3 Outlook, you're going up against, to your point, you said you're probably going to lose. You're talking about facing an Indianapolis Colts team that just put the boots to Minnesota. The thing I, I was kind of, I'm not an internet troll. I'm more of a real life troll, which is why I understand those people. That's why they can't get under my skin. And the thing that I loved was walking away from that game watching Stefan Diggs have more receiving yards than that whole Vikings team. You know, watching Kirk Cousins just crash into the side of the mountain like the movie Alive. The passing game is just done. Or at least it was on Sunday against the Colts. But this is a team in the Jets that's already struggling to pass the ball. And now, maybe without the... Well, apparently, who the, the man in Prashad Perryman, who is the savior... Of your game plan. <laughs> so if so, you're going to go in there with Chris Hogan and Braxton Berrios, and I'm sure somebody they'll sign off the street. Uh, hold, maybe they'll finally what, – what do they have against this cager kid? Out of all
5: the things that have gone wrong, why doesn't this rookie get any luck? I wish I could give you an answer to any of the things that Adam Gase does, but his mind is a mystery to most. I guess he's just too brilliant for all of us to understand. I wouldn't be surprised because with Perriman, they said it's week to week, so I guess we'll find out. If Perriman doesn't play, I wouldn't be surprised if they do look to Cager, but man, it's just such an untenable situation all the way around. I'll tell you, I thought this was kind of funny. My friend George Bremer covers the Colts for CNHI Sports in Indianapolis, right? So last week after the Jets uh, played their game and lost to the Bills and the Colts Lost their first game. He sent me this text. I know things feel bad with the Jets right now, but just wait a couple of weeks. Darnold will complete 95% of his passes against the Colts, and he'll look like a hero again. Then I get this text from him yesterday after the Jets and Colts both played their games. He says, I'm no longer confident the Colts defense will bail the Jets out next week. On the bright side. You may have Trevor Lawrence to look forward to next year. So this is somebody who covers the (laughs) Colts sending me this text where he's even saying, I was trying to give you some hope last week, and now I got to take that hope away because after what I just saw with the 49ers and their 25% healthy roster, I don't think that there's going to be much of a shot. So (laughs) that should tell you where the Jets are at right now. It's just... I guess uh, when Brashad Perriman is the guy that you can't handle a game plan around, it's funny. I was talking to Manish Mehta about this on my show uh, that's coming out probably before this one does. And I said, what it reminds me of is the kid who's screaming for ice cream before dinner. And his parents say, Finish your dinner, eat your veggies, and then you can have your ice cream. No, I want my ice cream. I want my ice cream. So two hours later, he finishes his dinner. The parents say, all right, let's go out for ice cream. And the kid says, I don't want my ice cream anymore. <laughs> as soon as Brashad Perriman goes out, now all of a sudden, Adam Gates, whatever it was he had planned, I can't do it anymore. And we saw this with Luke Falk last year, too. As soon as Sam Darrell was ruled out for those games against Philly and against New England, all of a sudden... Adam Gase had no interest in even trying anymore. So, (laughs) look, again, Luke Falk is Luke Falk, but the whole thing is just so bizarre. And it's amazing to me if Christopher Johnson can't see this, because literally everybody else on Earth can see this. People that don't even watch the Jets can see it. And it's amazing.
1: I mean, look at the man's facial expressions. You're clearly talking about a genius here. A very special mind. (laughs) Scott, we love you. We feel bad for you. No, we don't. No, we, I mean, we do. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, every Sunday, I'll play The Sound of Silence once just for you. Just for you. <laughs> Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find your work and what you have going on over there this week?
5: Well, first of all, I always appreciate a good Simon and Garfunkel reference to wrap up an appearance on a podcast. So thank you for that, Drew. (laughs) Lots of stuff going on this week if you want to continue to wallow in our misery uh, on the Jets side of things. And by the way, have to say, as much as I still believe Sam Darnold is the more talented quarterback, obviously, as of right now, there's really no argument as to who the best quarterback in the state of New York is Or I guess relative Because the Jets and Giants play in New Jersey Josh Allen certainly number one right now I don't think there's any question But we're going to be doing lots of stuff Manish Mehta came on the show As usual he'll be slamming Adam Gase plenty That's <laughs> what a lot of us are doing right now But particularly Manish We've got Michael Nania to break down all the stats Your old friend Joe Blewett is coming on To do some film We've got my friend George Bremer coming on To give us the lowdown on the cults We'll do the game day morning mailbag slash pregame. And as I always like to say, the reason I mix it up is because if you have no interest in the Jets game that particular day, because you're just too demoralized, we'll at least answer some fun mailbag questions and give you a reason to listen otherwise. So lots of that going on. And then if you want to go back and listen to our real time reaction, Andy Vasquez, who covers the Jets for NorthJersey.com, was on the show uh, to do the post game report as he is every time. And we sort of went through how everything imaginable went wrong. And the other thing that's fun, guys, is that what I've started to do is on the post game reports that come out just after midnight, just after midnight on Monday, Charlie Campbell of walterfootball.com is coming on and doing little draft reports. So if you're a Jets fan and you're demoralized and you're like, oh, I can't hear about this game, well, there's two things. A, you can listen and just laugh at the craziness of it all or B you can listen for some draft tips because obviously the jets are certainly going to need them. And if you're not a jets fan, if you're bills fan, most of the people listen to this probably are, you can listen and have yourself a hearty chuckle just as drew and Chris just did at my expense. (laughs) So feel free to check it out. Play like a jet one on Twitter and you can download Play Like a Jet anywhere where you can find podcasts of course you can also check it out at turnonthejets.com
2: Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities whether they're our corner stores our coffee spots or our favorite shops local businesses have always been there for us they remember our orders they call us by name always giving back making a difference and going that extra mile to support us and our community and right now more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless Visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa. Everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. And
1: then to round out the AFC East action I guess we have to talk about the New England Patriots, don't we? I mean, they're the reason we're on top.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Their failure yeah.
1: is the reason we're on top of the division.
2: Yeah, I thought that game was over, and I like closed my eyes and went to bed and I wake up, and oh, Cam Newton got stuffed at the one. Glorious.
1: Here to talk about the New England Patriots week is Mr. Mark Schofield. How are you doing, sir?
3: Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be back with you as always. You guys seem joyous more so than usual, and I can only imagine it's because you guys are 2-0. and oh. We're
1: 2-0. Oh. We're beaming, although one of us is crippled. Actually, both of us. I've got a torn meniscus. He's got he's got the back of a 75-year-old man. This you is guys are wh- in good shape.
4: Yeah, I know. are have to
1: wear. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, got our, our, the, pod, the health of this podcast is reflective of the health of the NFL right now.
3: We're taking some blows, but we're limping through this thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, every time of the year, everybody's hurt, so you are got to play through it. Walk, exactly. It's a part of attrition. Route here, it's for love of the game, damn it. Yeah. So talking
1: about the see, that Sunday Night Football game, I stayed up. I can't tell you the last time I stayed up to the end of a Sunday Night Football game, but I did it for this one, and it didn't disappoint. As a New England fan and analyst,
3: what are your emotions walking away from this? You know, interestingly enough, on, on my show, typically when we lose, when the Pats lose, I call them a melancholy in the infinite sadness episode. I play the sad music. We get all up in our feelings. Not this time. I, I, it was kind of like, a, you know what? They lost. But as when I was on with you guys before the season started, I said, look, that five games to start the year, one at Seattle, one at Kansas City, you're playing in house money in those two games. Like, I'm... If they lose, whatever. And the fact that they got down on two different occasions by double digits and found a way to get back into the game, and they had one final play from the two-yard line to win it, If okay, they get stopped. It would have been great if they won. It would have been fantastic. But I was fine with them losing that game. Like, okay, like I learned more about that team. I liked what I saw. I liked that they were able to actually throw the ball because in the first half it looked like they didn't have a passing game. It really looked that way. But they figured one out as the game went along. So, I look, they lost. Okay, they one and one, But I was fine with it. Well, and that's one of the things. So, last week, we talked with Mike
1: DeBate about how a purely rushing-based attack wasn't going to work for the Patriots against some of the NFL's more prolific offenses, of which the AFC East plays a handful of this year. Yeah. And we speculated that at some point, the Pats were going to have to pull out some semblance of a passing offense. We, we get to see on Sunday night what that's going to look like with Cam at the helm. And I got to say, the early returns weren't terrible. I yeah. mean, Julian Edelman, I don't know that in all the years of Tom Brady spreading the ball around, this was a game where I actually took a step back and said, holy shit, Julian Edelman's a, he's a great football player. For as much as I think he's a dirtbag, he's a great football player. His performance was incredible. And you could even tell towards the end, it almost seemed like he was laboring a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if it's because yeah. he's he's a 30-something-year-old man just out there taking a beating from this young uh, Seahawks secondary, but he kept in it, he kept in it, and he kept moving the chains. What did you think of what you saw, and how comfortable are you with
3: that moving forward? I was impressed because... They have the ability to throw haymakers now as a passing game, whereas in years past with Tom Brady, it's really you know seven, eight, nine yards down the field. Oh, like it was death by paper cuts. Maybe it was 10. death by paper cuts with Tom Brady. He yeah, just chew this you is, up. They can throw haymakers now. Like, and I think Newton, provided he stays healthy, like that forty-nine yard throw to Edelman, where he slid left in the pocket, forty-nine yards on an absolute line you're not seeing Tom Brady make that throw right now. No. And look, the incompletion to Edelman in the end zone right at the end of the game, I don't think Edelman saw a throw in his direction with that much velocity any time in the past like two or three years. Like Tom Brady wasn't making a throw like that. So, like, they have the ability to throw some haymakers. You're going to have some mistakes. He had a bad interception when he was trying to get, you know, cute on that throw to Bird along the left sideline and Dunbar jumped it. But I think, look, the fact that they could deliver some big splash plays is going to open up some stuff along the way. So I was okay with this passing game. Look, the first half, it didn't look like they could throw the ball. Well, no. I mean, I sent out a tweet. like They had a couple of like nice screenplays, and I was like, hey, the passing game is starting to click here. And immediately, like, half of Twitter is like, are you sure about that? Really? They could throw <laughs> the ball a little bit better than I thought. Well, this was one thing that stuck out to me like a sore thumb, though
1: it's kind of this, it's it's a bigger number. You're talking about bigger passing yardage, more passing, more passing production. But what you saw was just a growth and a trend that started in week one. And the fact that Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman seem to be like the only guys out there. Edelman and Harry combined for 23 targets, 16 catches, which was 69.5% of all catches. 250 yards, led wide receivers in those categories for the second week in a row. If you're operating, they, they did get Demir Bird, they got him involved, but then he also had that pick. He had some negative plays when he tried to target Bird. Those two players at wide receiver are essentially who the offense runs through, and at this point I'm, I'm almost starting to think of them kind of the same way I thought of, Julian, uh, of uh, John Brown and Cole Beasley last year for the Buffalo Bills. Those two became the only two things that made our passing game go. What's your fear that you guys could kind of, because we saw it come back in big games against, against teams like Baltimore, against Houston in the wild card round. We saw the lack of dynamic options outside of those two come back to bite us in the ass.
3: What's your fear that that could happen to the Patriots here as the season goes on? You know, I, I think the fact that Harry has taken a bit of a step forward and Camby keeps going to bat for him. I think the fact that, yes, he forced some throws to Bird, but he does have a prior relationship with him and he seems like they have good timing together. You know, I'm a bit more confident that they will be able to find accessory options outside of Edelman, outside of Harry. Um, they didn't have James White on Sunday night. You know, when you look back to last year, the big thing was double or bracket Edelman, put a defensive back, a corner on White. He's Brady's not going to throw anywhere else. That was why there was a third down conversion in the first half of this game where they bracketed Edelman and Newton went immediately to Bird on a stop route. It was good to see because he wasn't just going to artificially force stuff into Edelman. I'm a bit concerned, other than a couple of catches by Ryan Izzo, they're not targeting the tight ends at all. I'd like to see them get these two rookie tight ends involved. But I do think, you know, with White back, they'll have more weapons than last year when it was Edelman, White or Bust. So one of the things,
1: okay, so I'm willing to buy that. And I think that offensively, the Patriots gave way better than I expected. They really did, because I thought this was going to be a game where it was just a track meet from Seattle and the Patriots were playing catch-up the whole game. And that it ultimately turned into one of the more entertaining football games I've stayed up until midnight to try to watch. So with that in mind, I look at the other side of the ball. Now, everyone makes a big deal out of DK Metcalf's performance. I get it. He showed out. I mean, his average cushion was 3.4 per NFL next-gen stats, which was sixth lowest in the NFL, but he had an 80% catch rate, 96 yards, and a big touchdown that everyone's been throwing shade at Stefan Gilmore over. And t- t- Gilmore got big-boyed, but DK Metcalf is a physical freak. Everyone knew that coming into the draft, and when Seattle got him, I remember just thinking to myself, shit, they got a tight end who can run a 4-4. Yeah. That's that's absurd they're going to be with, nice. with with Russell Wilson's accuracy down the field that's going to be a problem and we just watch it was almost like a precursor to what I imagine happening to the Buffalo Bills i watched stefan gilmore take that one on the chin but i think a bigger story when you look at that is the lack of pressure on the quarterback allowing these wide receivers and Russell Wilson to just tee off on your secondary. I mean, you guys sacked him one time for no yards, and when you go back and watch the replay, there wasn't a ton of pressure on Russell Wilson. He had a lot of time. He was comfortable back there. Yeah. Is that – how worried are you about that trend moving forward?
3: Yeah, Drew. I said before this game that how the Patriots tried to defend Russell Wilson – and how successful or unsuccessful they are in doing that might be the story of this season going forward. Because, look, look at the athletic quarterbacks they're going to play. Russell Wilson, Josh Allen twice, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray. Like, the Bills have a similar schedule. You get a run of athletic quarterbacks. And those have notoriously been the Achilles heel of the Patriots' defenses over the years because they play so much man coverage in the secondary. Belichick loves cover one. He thinks it's God's greatest gift to all of mankind. But when you've got your entire secondary running with their backs at the quarterback, you can't account for that. And so they played a lot more zone coverage. They used that mush rush where rather than trying to get to him and letting him wriggle free and then suddenly – He's got a lane to make something happen. They'd rather just try to contain him and not even get home, just keep him in the pocket. But he's so good that if you have one slip-up, like his first touchdown to Tyler Lockett, Brian Coward kind of cheats inside, gets out of his assigned lane. Russell Wilson sees it, cuts right through it, creates time, throws. It's a concern, Drew, because with all of the athletic quarterbacks they play, this is how they could lose games. This is how they could lose shootouts because you can see Patrick Mahomes doing this to them. You can see Josh Allen doing this to them. You can see Lamar Jackson doing this to them because if they have to get away from the man coverage stuff and play more zone and different things that they don't have as much comfort and experience doing, they might give up some big plays. And so, yeah, that is a concern. I'm not worried about Stephon Gilmore. I'm not worried about the secondary generally. But I'm worried about them against athletic quarterbacks like Russell Wilson and company, and that's incredibly valid
1: because I—that's what I kept thinking—is I'm like, well, on the touchdown pass to Swain, when yeah. he comes across the formation and the zone is empty, and yeah. you watch him running for 20 yards untouched to the pylon, you go back and you go, what the hell just happened? This is not a right. Bill Check defense, and that's when it dawned on me: holy shit, I'm watching the Patriots have to be forced to change the way they play.
3: yeah,
1: it's That's a lot. That's a lot to accept. What, I mean, I have it here on my phone. There was a moment, and I want to know what your gut reaction was. I called it Pete Carroll, run the ball version 2.0. I put it on my phone. I was probably about, I think I've been drinking for about 10 hours at this point. When he didn't call a run play, Again, against the Patriots. And instead, they got cute and let their quarterback throw the ball in a short yardage situation that almost seemingly handed the game to the Patriots. I was beside myself. How encouraging was that to you? How much did you think that game was there for the taking after seeing?
3: I mean, look, I I thought they had Cam Newton with a chance to win the game, which is all you could ask for. And interestingly enough, look, we know how tough it is to play defense in today's NFL. We just talked about how the Patriots get gashed. On two of Seattle's final three drives, the Patriots got a stop. You know, they got a stop. New England got a chance to get the ball back, cut it back to a one-score game, then a touchdown. But then, again, they get another stop on that 31. And so, you know, it, the name of the game playing defense might be just can you get s- – like one stop, can you just get one stop in the second half, and it might be all you have to do as a defense to give your offense a chance to win? So, look, I, I was optimistic at that moment. I thought it was fantastic that Cam Newton would have a chance, and so yeah, it, it was great to see that. Very cute decision by Schottenheimer and Carroll, but I was happy to see it. Cute
1: sucks. Cute is one. It's 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 the bane of my existence in football. I hate it especially in moments like that. But there again, I I watched the Alabama Crimson Tide. You run the ball. And it's not just ball B-A-L-L. It's B-A-5-W's and a couple L's. Run the ball. You run it. You run that thing. And Pete Carroll drives me crazy. But here's where Bill Belichick drove me crazy. And it's something that I want to know if you find it concerning as an analyst and a Patriots fan. Bill Belichick came out after the game was over and defended the decision to run Cam Newton into the end zone. He said, quote-unquote, our best play was when they opted to try and run the ball in with Cam Newton from inside the 10 with nine seconds left. I knew what the play was. You knew what the play was. The Seahawks clearly knew what the play was. Everyone involved had that. Pants down, we knew what was coming. Is it concerning that using Cam Newton as a human battering ram from six yards out is the quote-unquote best play for the Patriots in the red zone?
3: I mean, I think it is right now. Ask me again in two months. Like, if we're down the road and they still feel like that is their one best shot to get five yards, three yards, whatever, in a situation like that, that'll be extremely concerned. I was a bit surprised that given how often they had used it, how often they had used it back in week one, that they didn't try, you know, that play-action throw that they had to fall back, Jakob Johnson, or or, or something different, because the threat of Cam is enough. Seattle sold out on that play. They sold out on stopping Cam Newton running the football. You could have gone that little play-action pop pass and it probably would have been wide open for you. So, yeah, it's, it's concerning now. I hope it's not concerning three months from now. That's a perfect answer, Mr. Schofield. Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find yourself on
1: social, where they can find your latest work, and what you have coming up here this week?
3: Well, gentlemen, as as always, a pleasure to be with you. Um, You can find me on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. You can find me, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. I put up on Tuesday, uh, Schofield's QB camp from Week 2, my five film breakdowns of the five most notable quarterback performances from Week 2, featured in there, Josh Allen. Yes, sir! Your Buffalo Bills. Uh, broke it down there But yeah USA Today's Touchdown Wire SB Nation's Pat's Pulpit Bleeding Review uh, Bleeding Green Nation And yes With you guys Tonight And on Twitter at Mark Schofield
2: Alright guys Huge thanks to our guests Alf Artiaga Scott Mason And Mark Schofield Make sure you guys Are following them on Twitter They do great work For the teams that they cover
1: And that brings us To the AFCE standings outlook Now that we actually Have standings to talk about After two weeks of action This is what the table Looks like We've got the New York Jets 0-2, and two. <laughs> tied for fourth in the AFCs with Miami. Miami also boasting an 0-2 and record. Considering the injuries, continuing to plague the Jets, and the stiff game ahead of them, I don't know how they avoid falling into a three-game hole behind everybody else here in the division, or at least the, the leaders. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the Dolphins' They're gonna go on the road in a game against Jacksonville. That to me is a complete pickem. It's a battle of mediocrity. The, whose facial hair do you like better,
2: Chris? It's a coin toss. Minshew.
1: Do, do you like Minshew or Minchu. do you like
2: Fitzmagic? Minshew mania. You like that.
1: Jacksonville in that game?
2: Well, I just like his facial hair over Fitz. Like Fitzpatrick's, <laughs> I've seen it. I've, I'm used to it. What's this new, you know, even darker facial hair that Minshew has? And then what's with the bandana? He looks
1: like a white trash version of um, Paul Rudd's character from Anchorman.
2: Yeah, I could I could definitely <laughs> see that.
1: I it's going to be an interesting game because Jacksonville has scored a lot of points, a lot of points. The Dolphins' offense got off the ground against Buffalo for reasons we discussed during our Rockpile Report show. But man, what's who, who really wins out of that? Regardless, of, I mean, does the loser really lose anything? It's a non it's a non division game against two teams that aren't very good.
2: Yeah. And it's on Thursday night, which <laughs> is only on NFL Network. So. Which is
1: exactly where it belongs. Yeah. And then you've got New England at one and one, second place in the AFC East. New England is going to take on the Raiders, who are suddenly looking like a team that could maybe be dangerous. I somehow. I mean, I I, I
2: know for damn sure it's not because Derek Carr is elite. He looked the lead on Monday night, or at least from the stats that I read.
1: <laughs> Given the strength of each team and the coaching, I think I'd like New England to get back on track and keep pace. And then our Buffalo Bills. You know, as we broke down with Derek Ciapollo this week in our other podcast, the Bills are 2-0 sitting on top, but it's going to be a hell of a ride to try to maintain that. Really, it's hard for me to like the Bills over the Rams in this game based on what we've seen from both teams through two weeks.
2: Yeah. Well, it is Tuesday, so we don't know the status of Milano and Edmonds if they're still going to be out. I mean, that'll definitely play a role as we get to the end of the week if they're going to play. I think that's going to make a difference.
1: Oh, I think so. I think the Bills have a lot of – a lot's going to be riding on that injury report, so that's something for Bills fans everywhere to keep their eyes on. It's going to be a packed weekend of football. You've got the Bills playing the Rams. You've got the, you've got the Raiders and New England Patriots. Monday Night Football is going to have huge AFC implications. It's week three. How happy are you that football is back, Chris?
2: I'm very happy that football is back, and I would also be happy if my back came back.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know what's funnier, the state of your spine or the New York Jets. They're both equally terrible, equally hilarious, they bring me joy.
2: Yeah, because we both can't stand up on our own.
1: <laughs> Folks, we got a packed weekend full of football ahead. Make sure you come back next week as we go around the horn again with some great guests talking about all the AFC East action. But for tonight, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this.